Welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. And this episode is episode number one of our ketamine and psychedelic conversations that we're going to be having. Um, I, a couple things I want to give you a, a preempt on is um, I do have guests on these shows. Um, and the important part is of having people on the podcast is for there to share their experience and their stories. Um, we're not giving anyone any advice. <laughs> and we're not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. But we are uh, interested in opening up the conversation and creating a safe place to be able to talk about the use of psychedelics um, in the treatment of mental health conditions, especially anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so on. Um, it's good to be back, and um, we're going to start off today. And I have an old friend, I'll say colleague too, with, with the hell, um, Alia. And we've known each other, I realized, for, I was oh, thinking this last long night. time. Like 26 years or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Probably a little more. I think I was 24 and I'm not anymore. <laughs> uh, and I'm now I'm 53. So it's almost, it's it's 29 years. It's so long. That's yeah. my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> and what a journey. And what a journey. Oh my gosh. You know, who we were then and who we are now, right? <laughs> Yeah. Which I'm still working on. And, and that's really what <laughs> some of these shows are all about, is trying to understand our journey. Yeah. Right? Oh, and for sure. different ways to um, address our healing. Yeah. Um, Just Another Bozo on the Bus has had many different iterations. And um, this one regarding the ketamine files is no different. Um, but we do want to have conversations. And we want to have conversations that can support the process and support the journey. Um, I do offer ketamine-assisted therapy at uh, Dream River Counseling, and I have been doing that for 26, 28 months now, coming up on three years, actually, this fall. Um, and it has changed the life of enough of my clients and created um, opportunities for personal discovery and for the direct treatment of the mental health conditions that I've already discussed. Um, but let's let's get down to it and get to a little bit to know about Alia and her story and what brings her here today. We have a lot of things that we're going to try to address, but yeah. give us some history of your experience and however you want to go about that. If you want to talk about your experience with ketamine first or psychedelics or and how that's been, well, I'll say fruitful, but an important part of your journey through yeah. your mental health struggles. Well, so I think it really goes way back to childhood. And I, I was both blessed and also not blessed um, in many aspects, as kids from the 1970s were. Um, and my mom um, worked at the Utah State Mental Hospital. And so mental health was always a part of the conversation, no different than you have a toothache, you go to a dentist. And so we had no stigma. There was like, there was zero stigma. Mm. So my parents were always very supportive of, you probably should get a second opinion on our opinion. And so <laughs> at a very young age, 
I was marched into therapy. And so I, I have not had a lot of what other people have had to overcome, which is just the stigma of mental health. It wasn't mental health. It was like tooth health or foot health or hair health. You have the mental health too. And so that was a huge blessing. When you say a second opinion, I want to clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> but you mean that from the perspective of you don't have to follow what our story or our beliefs That's are, correct. that you can, you can develop your own opinion. Because right. That is not a, a common thing. No dynamic in households. No, and my dad worked with at-risk youth, so kids who'd been in, incarcerated. Mm-hmm. He worked actively with helping them to change their framing and mindset around what their life was. And so that changing and framing, I mean, I, my parents would go to oh, what there's a, I can't, it's still out there. They went to like Life something. I won't, I can't remember the name. Life Spring. I think it was Life Spring. And yeah, we would meet as a family once a week, and we had to use, uh, we've transitioned from using you statements to I statements. I am uncomfortable when this happens, right? When your arm reaches out mm-hmm. and punches me, because we weren't allowed to use you. Now, the funny thing is, this is a little about my personality. My grandfather was blind and he did Morse code for years. I thought I statements meant you used your eyeball to use Morse code. <laughs> And so when I was in my 20s, I finally actually you mean figured like it out. like a quick close yeah. and a, a yeah. slow close? Yeah, or like whatever, yeah. too long, one quick, <laughs> right? So I was super confused about how that would improve communication rather than delay it. I was a very logical child. And so um, in my 20s, I did figure out that it wasn't Morris Code. And I said, you know, Mama, you remember how I did that? And she goes, oh, that's what you were doing. I said, yeah, I was doing Morse code with my eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... You took that a little literally. <laughs> a actually, she actually got me a book about literal versus inferred meaning when I was a kid. Because apparently there's like many, like moose, there's chocolate moose and there's moose moose. Anyway, it was a whole thing about double meanings. Yeah. God bless my mother. But, you know, so that it was about how do you frame and reframe hmm. And I come from a complicated background. Again, from we have Muslim, uh, Jew, and then uh, your your Mormonism, and then some traditional Christianity. So mindset around the same event, mm-hmm. right? A lot of fighting over that Old Testament, New Testament, and so that just the world not always being from your perspective mm-hmm. was always a part of our household. So don't take our opinion on it go find out for yourself you, that's you, where that comes that's from that's it that yeah. is it and so which is rare it is very rare but we have a complicated <laughs> no, nothing God. against uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints <laughs> there, there is a, yeah right uh, i asked people who, uh, you know what what do they like me to call their church so yes um, well that's no different than judaism or muslim right and so you have three very dominant we are the absolute truth all in one household yeah. at dinner. And so, you know, I learned to navigate those. So navigating, how that translates is, is navigating my own mind mm-hmm. became an exercise in perspective. Knowing that an event occurs and there are, I don't know, my son likes D&D, uh, which is not Do Not Disturb. It's Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, it's like no, there's 23-sided or something dice Dice. and he got me a a cup yeah he got me a cup recently that there are 23 sides to each story and that's basically what i was raised with and to consider it what do you think this person saw what do you so that's how my mother would help us negotiate our 
conflicts as children. What do you think happened for her? So this constant 23 sides of every story was in the narrative. So subsequently, I went on to at current having had 22 therapists over my lifetime. (laughs) One more to go. (laughs) 23 sides. And notably, one of them I had for a decade and she just retired. So I was also aware that therapists don't always match you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, a pair of shoes or a dress or any relationship. So you should always date your therapist, so to speak. Don't be creepy, not in that creepy way, right? Yeah. But you, <laughs> yes, you have don't the, date your therapist. Right. <laughs> and they're all different people. And so you can, you don't have to fire them, but you can acknowledge that this isn't the relationship that supports me yeah. in the state yeah. that I'm in. And again, this all goes into why this, where I landed, where I landed. I also did not like therapy. At some point, because I kept talking about the same damn thing, and I was just done. Like, I don't want more awareness. I need to stop hurting. So I also had, as most children from the 1970s, where the news would say, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? For those of you who are not Gen Xers, that was actually a serious PSA. Yeah. Because parents didn't actually know where you were, and there was no cell phone, Mm -hmm. and there was no way to find your kid. And people really hurt each other. The abuse was horrible because we lost the social mores that kept people in check. Mm -hmm. And so things happened that there's a reason why Gen Xers are helicopter parents, because the shit that happened to us is non-trivial. And we did not want that to happen to our children. Now we may have gone the other direction. We'll have to balance that. But... All the things that could happen did happen to me and to my sister, well, and to other people, right? It all, all the girls, all the boys, all mm-hmm. the things happened in the neighborhood. Yeah. And so talking about it at some point doesn't, it didn't make me better. And so I would ask my therapist, so like, what do I do? Can I have an assignment? This is probably 11 years ago. And there was not a good of a lot of, you know, not a lot of trauma informed. PTSD wasn't a thing yet. You know, it wasn't understood. It's all in your head. Well, now we know, well, yeah, it's in my head, my polyvagal system, and in my autonomic nervous system. It's stored in many places around the body. Yeah, right. right? But there was none of that. And so um, I just needed relief. I was suicidal for many, many years, probably a good 20. And I thought about it every day, multiple times a day. I did everything I could to try and die, like I don't wear my seatbelt. I would do dangerous things to just give God a chance to kill me easily. Mm-hmm. That was always in my head. You gave, you gave God permission, if, just in case they were listening. No, I figured he just needed a, a, an assist. <laughs> okay. I was like his Scottie Pippen to Michael Jordan. Oh, uh, I was like, ooh. yeah, that's an old, that's a throwback. Google that, people. Yeah, yeah, right. So I was just giving him an, a Stockton to Malone for you, Utah to Malone. Right. I was like, I'm, I am your Stockton God and just make that basket. So I did everything I could uh, to help die. It never worked, um, clearly, because I'm doing this podcast. But I... Uh, I know we're being a little playful, but this, yeah. this was a serious time. Oh, it's yeah. horribly yeah. serious. It's terrible, but I couldn't get relief. And on top of that, I had horrible allergies, skin sensitivities, food allergies. I would have panic attacks. I didn't know what those were, right? When we were younger, you didn't know what that was. Um, I remember when you and I first met and I was about to get married for the first time. Mm -hmm. 
and a few days before I had a rash that went down my chest and I don't know if it was you or Kristen mm-hmm. and I was like I don't know what's happening and one of you identified that it was probably a panic attack and um, that that was the first time those words that I understood those words I couldn't take medication so because my body was so sensitive mm-hmm. um, when I used anesthesia so I needed a couple surgeries and I would code so they could not use drugs on me so I had to use nutraceuticals so I got very uh, immersed in how do I help my body mm-hmm. without using a chemical but I mean those really are chemicals you know of course yeah. but yeah. natural I mean I couldn't take Valium but I could take Valerian root mm-hmm. and and I would react I mean, even today, uh, weed, if I'm around weed or certain other things, like I just, my lungs fill up with fluid. I have such crazy allergies to certain things. Mm. And my parents would just say, oh, she's sensitive. Like I wasn't even allowed to take a shower in the 70s. I had to do a bird bath because the chlorine in the water um, would make my skin ulcerate. Now this is all applicable because what I know now is that I don't really have those anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not through some medical miracle or someone praying on me. That's because um, that was my autonomic nervous system protecting me. So as I move through my PTSD, I can eat almost anything. Weed's still not gone. and so I, when I walk through New York or Colorado, I have to take Zyrtec because there's so much weed that it'll, you know, there's smoke, it fill, fills my lungs up. So it's a thing. So I guess they're Portland. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't gone to Portland, so I'm a good call. Note taken. Yeah. Uh, and so I was so frustrated with counseling, right, because it was just talking and talking and talking, which what we know now is talk therapy. Yeah. I actually reinforces the trauma because it's it's digging a stronger memory like digging a moat Mm -hmm. uh you just keep bulldozing deeper rather than giving me something to do and then which generally is not the point with wanting to i mean from from the lens today with ptsd it's actually um about changing the neurological structure instead of seeing it's just about talking about it talk i mean talking helps but it's not the ultimate solution it isn't and it was so i could not get relief i could not get relief and because i react so strongly to all chemicals Mm -hmm. um i could not use drugs like most people who've experienced what i experience i don't have the uh, enzyme to break down alcohol so one drink in and i can't drive so somehow all the substances other than Doritos and M&M's and um, Oreos, often my drug of choice. I was <laughs> not. not <sugar> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had an, an eating addiction and got well over 200 pounds mm. because I could eat myself to a point where the endorphins were released and then I felt relief. And um, so I couldn't use any drugs or alcohol because I, I like small doses of 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 uh, anything and I was coding and mm-hmm. for some reason I didn't like coding and I wouldn't let God kill me that way so that's clearly a thought mm-hmm. plot hole yeah. I have not worked out yeah. so 
So my, what you're saying is you, you really, and I don't mean this humorously, but sure. you didn't really want to die. You just didn't want to live under the, those conditions. Yeah, you know, I, one of my therapists, who was probably the last of the non-trauma-informed therapists, said, um, it's okay to want to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's probably a part of yourself that wants to die, but not all of you. And it might be okay to let that part of you die. And forevermore, anybody who's suicidal, that's how I approach it. Because mm. I did. I needed all that the little girl and the teenager who'd been told that girls are only supposed to be in the kitchen. And church people who said to me um, how hard it would be to be married to a woman like me because I had a high IQ. I still have a high IQ. That didn't change necessarily. But, you know, somebody who was smart and ambitious and how mm. that goes against God and and what kind of woman. And I was like, I don't know, but God can take me. He did the whole Noah thing. He could kill a smart girl, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's just one of many things, right? Like, why would God let me be on the earth? Like, he wiped the whole thing. Like, he's good at this, this cleaning thing. Right. But you except, can't... Except for the fish. <laughs> except for the fish. Thank God. Yeah. We have something and, and to eat. And the credit Eddie Izzard when he's, he I is, love should it. be credited. <laughs> love. Oh, yes. Hashtag. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, footnote. Yeah. Eddie Izzard credited <laughs> for the fish Did, fishy, did everybody fish forget joke. about, you know, aquamarine aqua life? <laughs> <laughs> We have to eat something. We got to go. Grow. We have there to grow back out of something. So I just, uh, you know, could not find my way out of the trauma, and it played out in my relationships. My the way I saw myself going to school, every single thing, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing was easy. And so eventually, when the trauma informed uh, therapy came to light. You know, EMDR, I was an early adopter of EMDR, Mm -hmm. and that began to be very helpful. And then neurological, uh, the Mindsight Institute with Daniel Spiegel's work, and they could see that the brain deviates consistently. They knew PTSD was real, and Mm -hmm. I cried. I wept. And in the meantime, I kept pushing myself forward as a human to make myself do more, be more, because I was a longtime meditator. I discovered Buddhism and decided that it was a great execution strategy and I could set religion aside, but the Buddhism was like a project management. Like you could be Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or Jewish. And if you did it in this Buddhist way, it was great. So anybody could get in the car and drive. Excellent. And so I stepped, I was able to step back. And so, and then, you know, at first I was, when I was meditating, I was told that I was um, uh, in trouble spiritually because it was wrong. And now where everyone's like, it's so cool. She's a witch. She's she's a witch, right? Like, are you sure? What are you accessing? I'm like, nothing. Why are you staring at that candle? I I don't know. And so, you know, I was very simultaneously growing and moving and able to find some better places in my mind. Felt I was done. I had just enough anxiety in my uh, early 30s and just enough mental health that I thought, oh yeah, okay, I'm done. And then I had a kid. And I loved him. I just... You could not have given me a more perfect human. And all of a sudden, all my edges 
of mental health were exposed again. Mm. Mm. And then I looked at the plateau that I was so comfortable on and went, okay, for my sweet boy, I will climb another mountain. And that is one I am still on. And so Mm. I couldn't... With PTSD, trauma-informed, it gave me more tools. And so I could start getting even more comfortable and teaching him to be different because then what we learned is there were mirror neurons, which meant all the shit that was in me was going to be passed to him. Mm -hmm. Then we learned about epigenetics and realized you can flip on an epigenetic and then it's passed to the next person into the next generation. And then we learned that you have an autonomic nervous system that's on alert. And now your kid will be alerted to things that you're alerted even though they didn't have the trauma. So welcome to generational trauma. The legacy. The legacy. The legacy. Which gets passed down generationally, um, unconsciously, for the most part. I mean, it's not like, you know, the intention of families was to keep repeating these cycles. It's just we don't understand that the importance of if we don't do our own work, then we carry, that's going to carry on to the next generation. And it's never too late, actually, which is the good news, right? It's never too late. It isn't. No, in fact, <laughs> my 81-year-old mother, two years ago, each year she's trying to do one thing new, like she plays. She's like, I'm taking a violin. I am taking up this or that, right? She's just doing it because she's you know, like, you're getting old. Like, what are you going to do? So she does a thing a year. So um, a couple of years ago, she was like, I'm going to go to therapy. And I was like, you've never gone to therapy. No, she just took everybody else. Anyway. Um, so I'm too busy. Listen, I've got, got a full life and a right. full schedule. Do you, boo? But I, I'll, you, you do you. Yeah, right. I'll run you out there, but then I'll just read a book the whole time. And so um, all of these new tools became available. And that was her generation, too. I mean, oh, that's, for sure. That's part of the that legacy of that generation. Is, you know. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think there's always as you know 23 sides to every story and you know i what i love is she could give us a new way to think Mm -hmm. and so you know i i i would say mental health has been literally almost my entire life's focus because i hurt so badly Mm -hmm. all over all of the time and um, and could not get relief. Again, everyone else, lucky or not, my mind might have said, you're lucky if you could use drugs and you could feel better. I couldn't use the drugs. And so I just sat in writhing, you know, metaphorical, bleeding, rotting pain all of the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I had this this kid who ended up with a, he ended up being abused himself because, again, I picked wrong people. And he was abused by a daycare, and I let it happen. I know you're going to be compassionate. Everybody listening, Paul had a very compassionate face on it and didn't know you didn't. But I did, Paul, because the generational trauma let me do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I let... You mean in some way that we, on some level, we normalize it because we don't understand the generational piece? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and... I accidentally, unintentionally, purposely, picked a place that I was comfortable with, that my nervous system was comfortable with, right. which brought all the trauma, and they hurt my boy, and they gave him brain damage. Mm-hmm. 
And when I was told by Primary Children's Medical Center that my son would never function. Right. Oh, I remember this Yes, I'm sure you do. It seems like a lifetime ago, but I do remember it. Yeah. And all of this new neurological stuff, stem cell research, the mm-hmm. Mindsight Institute, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I would run down and go to you guys, hey, but hey, but look, look. And I was like, but but it, it can't. And, and primary children's like, you know, you go through all the stages of grief, whatever. Like he was so bad, they stopped. They stopped the tests halfway through and they were, they were like, Mrs. DeAngelis. And I was like, what? And I couldn't believe it because I, I was reading all this new neurological things and I um, I couldn't I had just finished Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief also and I was like oh, yeah. I couldn't you know in the scriptures the Mormon scriptures right wrong or different sorry trigger alert <laughs> um, it says if ye but believe if ye but believe yes. and something in me said Gabriel is going to be okay and everybody was like, I mean, I have a four-inch binder, as you know. I'm pretty sure I've hauled it to your house of all the medical reports. And something in me said, no, he's going to be okay. And so I have also been to the Red Sea. And I've seen the Red Sea part. So sometimes when we think Iron Man, like I can suspend my disbelief and I can see but I can believe Iron Man is real. Robert Downey plays him so well. Yes. But I have seen the Red Sea part. When the wind kicks up on the shoals, it parts, and it parted a long way out. So it was probably just a windy day, mm-hmm. right? It was a kite day in, in, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that for sure, people. There's no historical. But I'm pretty sure because I have seen it. And so I, c- I could not uh, not suspend my disbelief, and I decided... I knew Gabe was going to be okay. And again, this is this this journey of healing. And then, of course, he had the PTSD. So I found somewhere who d- we could do the neurological healing, mm-hmm. really bleeding edge, worked my butt off. But nobody knew what to do for the PTSD from him being hurt. And I was like, I will be damned if my child doesn't get to heal. And then Daniel Spiegel's work came out in the Mindsight Institute, and we found the EMDR, and I was like... There's got to be more. And then I heard about MDMA and MAPS in Colorado. And in the meantime, we're just going to therapy, right? We're doing EMDR, very useful. There's something to be said about when you don't have the trauma in your body anymore. Mm -hmm. There's more capability and more spaciousness Things on my body started hurting less. Things on Gabriel's body started mm-hmm. hurting less. I could eat more foods. Uh, I was upset by fewer things. So between the releasing and the new, the meditation of just being able to be with discomfort. Mm-hmm. So not knowing that I was retraining, I was releasing and retraining mm-hmm. simultaneously. Yoga does the same thing. I had a great yoga instru- instructor and she'd have you move just into the discomfort and then be in it. So my to- with that. Yes. Yeah. And so my tolerance for discomfort and then watching people be like total DBs and be like, I, I don't, like, not my circus, not my monkeys was a meme that I was like, oh, I don't actually have to be worried about that. 
as a traumatized person, I was always like, <gasps> I've got to control the environment. Then, then I learned, oh, I just step back and go, yeah, beat each other. I have band-aids when you're done. Right, right, right. Well, this idea, right, of once we actually accept on some level um, that this, there's, there is this trauma, yeah. This PTSD, CPSD. I mean, the complex aspect. It is complex. Of it. Yeah. Um, it is. It is very complex. Um, understanding, you know, and, and a reference here. You know, the body keeps the score, and the audio connection. Yeah. Between it, it it all begins like this puzzle to come together, and it starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah. And we can somehow depersonalize it too, and step yeah. into a place where we can be with it. Right. Completely differently, which maybe leads into this neurological shift and restructuring that is yeah. vital. And EMDR is definitely a, a component of that, I think. so. For sure. But, my, but psychedelics. Well, yes. So my quest was, I would have given up on me a long, long time ago because mm. I just was done. I was good. I was comfortable. But not, I could not have my little boy... Yeah who is very adorable, everybody. I love him so much. He's 21. We, we, we love him. Yes, and he's just <laughs> yeah. so... And he's, uh, you know, I know he's always your little boy, but he, he's he's uh, quite a young man. He's 6'1". <laughs> he's, so, he's so big. And he, and he likes to remind me of that now. He goes, you used to... Yeah, I was so scared of you. You looked huge. He's like, but now, Mom, you're actually pretty small. You're kind of tiny. I'm like, I need you to shut your mouth. And then he picks me up. I'm like, put me down, damn it. <laughs> You're not King Kong. Um, but, you know, I my quest was to help my boy. I just did mm. not want him to hurt for so many years mm. like I had. So I kept pushing forward. So maps, being the person that I am, I, and I still couldn't find the full relief. You know, there were triggers. I had gone to your house one day and your wife, Kristen, mm -hmm. said to me, you know, Alia... What I don't understand is you're like, you're okay, and then suddenly you're not. And I don't know what that is, right? And this is before trauma-informed, where we understood the triggers and we understood the brain. And that sat with me, because I was like, oh, sometimes I am okay. Because I was always told, you're a problem. You know, between too, being too smart and too pretty and all those things that weren't godly. And then I was, it was all in my head, and I was always this problem. Well, now I, there's lots of things I realize, but... I was like, oh, I'm not the problem. There's something the going, problem. right. I'm not the problem. It was totally, it was, it was a constant T-Swift moment. Like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. Like, I don't even have to introduce myself. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm Alia, it's me. I'm mm -hmm. the problem, it's me. T-Swift will write a song in 2023 that will be me, you know. <laughs> but... So I and leave uh, Easter eggs along the way, so you, you know how to get there. <laughs> look, right, look right, it's like get. breadcrumbs, but different. <laughs> I, I um, <laughs> so eventually, what what I did, because I, again, I may have socially engineered my way into getting Marcella's cell phone number, and Marcella is the main study runner for Maps mm -hmm. for MDMA. And I, um, I still have it, and I've subsequently met yeah, her. And definitely not going to give it out here. Oh God, me. no! <laughs> but it is her real cell phone number. Yeah. We, because I met her, I, I met her physically at a conference last year, and um, she was like, "Text me." I'm like, "Okay, I still have your old number." She's like, "Oh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> still works." But you know, I talked to her, and I tried again and again to get into the study. Um, 
should knowing. probably tell everyone what MAPS is, though some of you obviously know. But MAPS has been um, leading yeah. the uh, multi, which is multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, out of Santa Cruz, California, and they have been spearheading the MDMA studies nationally yeah. for about a decade. A yeah. decade at least. More, yeah. Um, but I've been aware of them for 20 years since I went to ITP and I met uh, back in the early 2000s. And I met Rick Rubin. He came and mm-hmm. talked to our uh, cohort a few times. And this is yeah. in the early days when he was just starting. starting yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah Rick. A little different now. It's very different. And so, and what MAPS had done is they really thought that something within the MDMA would help with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now they're through phase three FDA trials, and it's technically supposed to be legalized in therapeutic conditions this fall. Yeah. And I, I have tried very hard to get into the studies mm-hmm. repeatedly, and that was because <laughs> I was just in so much discomfort, and I was looking for something for my boy. Mm-hmm. So that's how I that's how I ended up with saying, okay, psychedelics, but with the terror around, I cannot do drugs because I don't know the dosing and that's actually not wrong notably and you did know way before this that you how sensitive you were mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. um, drugs affect me in a way that I have to be cognizant of I need to be need to have some level of responsibility regarding how this may affect me that's yeah. correct and so I was thwarted and ketamine therapy was still not legal everywhere and i i will not i am very aware that that drugs are drugs are drugs and i also know that sugars are drugs so no one has to remind me (laughs) and um alcohol is a drug i know that too and i i continue to push myself like you do right we are always learning and growing and, and pushing and i kept finding more and more walls And then I had an event that occurred almost two years ago now where our service animal, um, Siddhartha, little miniature schnauzer, I know, I'm not gonna, I won't tell everybody what exactly happened, but he was horrifyingly, tragically killed while I was away, accidentally by somebody who loved Sid. My son and my ex-husband witnessed it and so there was massive trauma. Mm-hmm. And I was living on the 40th floor. Well, I split my time between New York City and Utah. I was living on the 40th floor of a high-rise mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. And I had seen the window washers and knew how to open the window. And because the event happened in New York and the people there did not know what to do with his remains, they froze his body and I kept thinking repeatedly I just wanted to hold him and then jump I'm nodding my head because yeah. yeah, there's not a lot to say right now yeah and uh, I couldn't could not get through mm-hmm. and uh, I was able to tell my fiance I'm not okay. I couldn't articulate all of it. Mm-hmm. And so he did not leave me alone for at least two weeks because I couldn't, 
I'm not a talker when it comes to those things. I'm just a doer. I'm not going to sit down and have a big chat with someone. You're going to convince me. I do often make a pro and con list. And then I do return all my library books and anything I've borrowed because I feel like that's responsible, right? You don't want to go. So uh, I've had this one for a decade. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I do. I'm like, oh, boy, I better return those, those flip-flops that I borrowed from Kristen 20 years ago. Anyway, so I wasn't okay. That is usually a sign, though. I mean, I'm not. Is it? Yes. That is usually an indication that oh. someone's kind of found some level of peace with themselves. You do. And, oh. Not now I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean this stuff yep. up and and pay all so my what, bills. Yeah, and I'm yeah. going to pay my bills and return the items that don't belong to me. Yeah. So I have yep. no, I have not no Didn't skeletons that uh, yeah. I need to clean up next time. Yeah, and little burden to others, very yeah. little burden. And yeah. I did not know that, and so I could not re-regulate myself. And I what I figured out is. We had got Sid about 11 years previous, and that's when things started going really well. And what had happened is he, I could regulate myself with Sid, and I did not know how to self-regulate without him. After I'd had oh. a really, yeah. Oh. When I would have a really rough day at work, which was almost every day, because remember, I'm trying to do hard work and make myself do better. Mm-hmm. Sid didn't lick, or he wasn't snuggly, those of you who know miniature schnauzers know that that is not uncommon and so but what he did do is he would jump on the chair when i'd come home through the garage and he'd want me to put my forehead very buddhist like to his forehead Mm -hmm. and we would look at each other and then he'd flatten his ears which meant please rub me and he'd keep looking and that is neurological regulation, right? That's yep, a polyvagal yep, autonomic. Yep, yep. And that little butt had been laying in the chair, which he wasn't supposed to be, but whatever that happened, laying in the sun, super <laughs> relaxed, right? Notably, he had hair, not fur, so I didn't have allergies to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I would say, how was your day, Sid? And he would just do some move. And I would say something like, did you chase the squirrel? I did see the magpie today. Did you have an event with the magpie? And there was this funny, like, checking in, arriving Mm -hmm. home. And so I was not aware of how dependent I was. And my skin started itching again. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't breathe. And I could not be okay. Mm -hmm. It was so bad, the event, that my son told me, don't don't come home to Utah. I can't grieve with you. I can't do this. I have to do this alone because he was present as Sid was dying. So he was in crisis again, but I was so bad I couldn't get out of crisis. Mm. And so I went to the underground. And and I... um, went through a number of practitioners interviewing them and because of the level of trauma there was only one person identified who could handle the level of trauma and this person interviewed me repeatedly they were very responsible i had to fill out a whole medical again this is the underground i could not get into the map studies but it became almost it became very life and death Gabriel was suicidal. Mm-hmm. 
I was suicidal. I could not. Like, we were not okay. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing I could do. I would walk 10 to 12 miles a day Mm -hmm. to be able to sleep. I would cry in meetings. So I'm at work. And I just. you're still working this whole time. Oh, yeah. Full time. Very intense consulting job. And I just start weeping. My body could not cry. And so what I would tell people is I'd tell them about Sid. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to cry through this whole meeting. I can still talk and think. But my body can't not cry. Right. I can be on video or off. We're in the middle of the pandemic. Most people were like, oh, just stay video on. Because everybody was losing. And, you know, there was well, loss. It was, yeah, I mean, there, there, was, there was a huge uh, disconnect happening already emotionally. Right. And so the, the, this, the only, I can only imagine, just compounds that. Yeah. Yeah, dramatically. And the event with Sid split the family apart because it involved his goddad, it involved his father, it involved me. And so there was nobody for Gabe to go to who was steady. We were all rocked by this. So here my son is. He's not okay. I cannot get okay. So go to the underground, and I'm passed from practitioner to practitioner to practitioner, and they're all being responsible. Doing their due due diligence (laughs) and making sure I'm going to be okay. And I Mm -hmm. also let them know, I don't understand my dosing. Mm -hmm. It is my understanding, again, not being a party drug person Mm -hmm. or recreational or whatever that means, that it's MDMA is usually three, five or 10 milligrams. And then you're going to have a really nice experience. For those of you who don't know, MAPS uses the 120 and then about 90 minutes later, I think it's a 40 to 60 milligram bump. It's high. If I'm in the underground, mm-hmm. I could die. Because unlike with MAPS, where they have medical people ready yeah. and present, yeah. there were none. And so finally found somebody. They were okay with it. We did all the due diligence. And then there was this thing called an intention, which I didn't understand. And I was like, what do you mean? Which is, which I always find surprising when right. you say that. You go, you... It's therapy. I'm going to go in the app about stuff. <laughs> now, for those of you who are newer to or know what an intention is, what I know now is what's called brain priming, right? Yep. Brain now, priming. the Tony Robbins is going to talk about it. Joe Dispenza is going to talk about it. It's not wrong. No. So if you, this intention for all of you who want to engage in this, mm-hmm. It is probably the most important thing. Yeah, along with integration. And then this, the one B, one B is integration. Yeah. And so one A is what is your intent? Because your intent is going to yeah. prime your brain, and it's almost like a treasure hunt where it's where's Waldo? It's mm-hmm. going to go find the memories that apply to the answer to that question, which I would like to tell you will never be what you thought it was. It will be a skosh of what you thought it was, <laughs> if you are lucky. Yeah, right, it is going right. to both mostly be not. So I, I, I did that. And again, I had an exceptionally challenging um, first journey. And it is a journey. Um, and it was so challenging that... Usually, you don't have a loved one or someone. It's just you and the practitioner. 
And it was a beautiful journey. This person is trained and has done loads and loads. Lots with the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. Lots with the polyvagal system. Like Mm -hmm. all the things. I was so blessed and so lucky. And they had a space that had ceremonial things. Mm. And so we did the four directions. We rewrote the intention a couple times and we said it. The money that was given is an offering, mm-hmm. so it's an exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. And then you buckle down for a five hour, six hour ride, mm-hmm. and which was just shit for me. It was very painful. Mm-hmm. It was not easy. Uh, most people apparently feel really great on MDMA. <laughs> I feel like shit. So you, you, you didn't have necessarily a pleasant journey is what I'm hearing. I never do. <laughs> I will, surprise i will never be a drug addict because it's like shit i'm like why 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 would you do this it's horrid right i mean but apparently as they become more like andrew huberman has fabulous podcasts on it and he'll talk mm-hmm. about there are certain psychedelics that if you do have that a complex PTSD or capital T mm-hmm. trauma, yeah, you probably don't want to use those. You want to stay a little more gentle yeah. in the... And so, uh, as my fiancé says, he's like, you should never do those ones because in that first journey, um, I stopped... I, I could not breathe. 15 minutes in, the drug hit. Mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. And I thought oh shit, Gabe is going to kill me because I'm going to die. The pain was so bad. And I have a a pretty good tolerance for pain, right? Mm -hmm. Notably, Mm -hmm. I gave birth. I did not have a C-section. Way worse. And I thought, Gabe's going to be so mad at me. He's going to be so mad because he always says, Mama, please don't die, right? So I... uh, A normal request. I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. I'm appreciative. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> to which I say, then you better make a lot of money because somebody's got to change my diapers when I get old if I'm never dying. <laughs> anyway, that's separate. Uh, he, uh-huh. And then I thought, uh, you know, I had my chat with God and said, better make the bed because I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. I made a choice. I was trying to heal and I'm, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And the practitioner, the guide kept mm-hmm. yelling breathe you need to breathe and I couldn't breathe I was just and uh my fiance was in there with me because I had said I need I need him but she said so at a time when the medicine kicks in we'll have him leave Mm -hmm. and so I was appreciative Mm -hmm. like he we all drew goddess cards and other things and right I mean she she let him in there to set the intent like it was really she was much more lenient than many are and So, um, well, she's trying to be accommodating yeah. and, and create safety for you. I mean, which is yeah. one of the most important aspects of any of this work. Absolutely. I mean, it is being that practitioner in the room. And then all of a sudden, I perspired through my clothes completely mm-hmm. wet, which notably, I don't really sweat wet clothes. And then was able to move and breathe again and said, Sean, I'm going to barf. And so he grabbed, they both grabbed like the trash can. I threw up and threw up and threw up. And then I turned to him and said, this is a bad idea. I think I'm going to die. And um, she, I had to remove those clothes. We made sure that I was still decent. Mm -hmm. But we had set 
at the very beginning rules, like no sexual touch. Mm-hmm. You don't get to leave until I tell you to, which I thought was a stupid rule, but now I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at some point you're like, I'm good. And you're like, you're not and you don't get, remember the rule. Oh, yes, the rule. The responsible touch is committed to you. I signed a paper, which is good priming, right? Uh, respond, no water, no liquids, no eating until I tell you, right? You're, you really, she did a great job at the beginning of setting the intention of her and how we got to interact and what therapeutic touch looked like, what it didn't look like. I mean, she was very intentional in set and setting. And if you would like to know more about that again, hopefully Paul will cover that another time. And, or you can go to Huberman. Set and setting is so vital if you're journeying. And so she did a wonderful job doing that. I barfed. Thought I was going to die. We had to take off the clothes because then I started shivering. Um, and then I grabbed Sean White Knuckle and I said to her, uh, he can't leave. He can't go. And she said, oh, he's going nowhere. And so <laughs> I subsequently clung to him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And was in bad enough shape. I had one of my very closest friends because I was so scared of dying. I mean, I gave them my insurance card just in case I died. Right? That's... uh, Because that'll be really important to have, right? I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very No, no, no. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so... (laughs) My insurance card in case I die. um, (laughs) They let me call in my friend who uh, is female. Mm -hmm. And my skin and my body were in such trauma. Mm -hmm in recapitulation that I needed her to lay on top of me. So I was on my side and my friend laid on me. Mm -hmm. And then I was gripping Sean. Mm -hmm. So shaking, vomiting, Mm -hmm. not a whole ton. The vomiting did stop. It was nowhere near what I hear ayahuasca does. So, cause I'm not, I'll barf, but I'm not a big fan of it. Plus you're fasting. Like we had to fast. And so, you know, I, uh, by the way, a lot of people don't understand that aspect of it. Oh, yeah, I'll just nibble a little bit. No, or, don't. Yeah. No, I Yeah. I, I have people all the time that come in and, I, you know, I said, when was the last time you ate? Like, oh, a couple, you know, three, four hours ago, I go, yeah, we... Mm-mm. Sorry. Mm-mm. I just can't do that. It's medicine. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use this recreationally. Mm-hmm. I want all the things to be out of the way. I want to access my mm-hmm. mind. I am tired of hurting. Um, by the way, yeah, a couple things. We come. We'll, I'm going to come back to set and setting before we finish today, because it is such an important aspect to this process. In fact, it is as important as anything else. It's as important as the medicine is. Oh yeah. Um, but listening to your story, and especially <laughs> this this first experience with MDMA. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of thinking a lot of people probably don't <laughs> you know this, this sounds too risky in, in some ways for some people mm-hmm. um, and I don't mean that as a negative because this is the truth this is what we need to take into consideration um, and this is what I like about or I'm, I guess I'm impassioned by your story is that as, as many difficulties and what seem like you know, experiences that would, you know, stop you and say, I'm never going to do any of this again. Yeah. Um, actually, just the opposite. You know, you have mm-hmm. found a way to have this work for you in such a way. Yeah, yes. So, 
you know the 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 coach the inter the coach who was with me mm-hmm. she made notes of everything i said she never influenced she never asked questions and she could have because i was starving on mdma notably it was a diet drug and so it makes you not hungry but in part of my trauma i was hungry a lot so it's just my body recapitulating yes. to how hungry i was because i kept saying i want a hamburger i just want a hamburger i'm so hungry mm-hmm. and um and then i would say i know i'm not supposed to i know i signed the document because you know there was, was compliant <laughs> and um I even, most of the time, people have music because it takes you on a journey into the, music can be very important. I had to have it turned off, and I always have to have it turned off. I cannot have music. Um, but that's me, you know, and I have a practitioner who uh, was very accommodating with that. Mm-hmm. So, because it's, it, how the medicine hits everybody is different, and that's with every medicine, notably, for the listeners. So true. Every from ketamine to psilocybin to LSD to MDMA, I can't speak into ibogen, uh, peyote, mescaline, or um, DMT or any of those. I those are uh, too strong for me. I've I've been counseled against those. So, um, and so, how did it all play out? Well, you really have to give yourself three or four days. The medicine is still in you. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I feel like crap, and so nobody can touch me. Um, I can barely eat, um, but that's just all residuals of trauma. Mm-hmm. But then what I could do is I could see it all. Oh, notably because I'm an overachiever. I didn't have one intention that first time I did three. And the questions I had is, who am I really? What's getting in the way? And what is the future? Well, I really just got what's getting in the way. And there was a lot. And I'm not done. There's still some more. But uh, I so had no idea. Just keep it simple, you know. <laughs> yeah, for, just do one, y'all. Like, don't, don't, do not. And, and what's fascinating to me is, you know, the brain has two sets of the original memory. Not a lot of people know that. Mm-hmm. And then it has your framed version. Yeah. So you've got three sets in the brain. That doesn't, that's not including the polyvagal system or the autonomic system or whatever systems we're going to figure out in the future. Well, now I really know what was getting in the way. And I could write it all down and I could see it in a diagram. And so I drew it all out. So for me, I don't like, uh, I have paper that doesn't have lines on it. Usually I like my, you know, notebook ruled who my trapper keeper um <laughs> but i i don't really have a trapper keeper anymore for all you my age but i love the trapper keeper what? What? no no binder no binder but i do have blank pages and i there are a couple pencils that i prefer oddly enough yeah. when i'm in that state um and i want a good eraser i get a little ocd about that like i have to have very specific utensils to diagram this all and so i just let my mind vomit it actually that's part of the set and setting it sounds weird but it's part of the integration set and setting yeah which again the set and setting for integration personally whatever that is yeah it sounds weird i have to have a certain paper and a certain pattern exactly yeah and don't minimize on this yeah give yourself what you need it's an extension of that of 
And so I didn't know what to do with all of what came out of my head. And I didn't have Sid because I could integrate anything with Sid. I mean, and I said to Sean, I was like, I could lay on the floor and would be in a difficult moment and Sid would just clip, clop, clip, clop, walk over, put his nose on mine because again, he didn't like look at me. Mm -hmm. I got to pet him like three times and then he was like, peace out. Or if I was in a really bad shape and crying, he'd just lay next to me and the minute I stopped crying, he was like, and we're done. (laughs) So he was... (laughs) Yeah, I'm, <laughs> the session's I'm, over. I'm spent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do you, boo. Uh, so he, I, I had told my therapist, because this was a part of this practitioner for them to do this for me. It was, uh, they needed the name and the phone number of the therapist and to verify, uh, to make sure that I had integration sessions scheduled. I was lucky because my therapist here in Utah, now retired, worked with MAPS study groups. So mm-hmm. she knew. And she does EMDR and um, parts work and all the things. Mm-hmm. And she caught me when I, I... I thought it was a little bit stupid because I was like, I've done so much therapy, I'll just write this shit out. No. Oh, no. You have to. You have to have the integration or as they say now in really the psychedelics medicine space, it's just a nice drug trip. Sometimes not nice when it's me, but it's just a drug trip. (laughs) And so I saw her maps will make you do, you do one medicine journey, three integration, one medicine, three, one medicine, three for Mm -hmm. total of uh, like the, what is it? Nine, 12 sessions. And it's not, funny it's and i would do two hour uh, emdr sessions so three two hour emdr sessions because the body is really ready with the medicine and what the residual that it leaves mm-hmm. to let it go so much easier to let go of the physical pieces also the resistance you know the buildup of oh my god this happened that wasn't there i could i could enter into the letting go piece much easier mm. so after 20 at the time 21 therapists and decades and decades and thousands of dollars um it could flow out of me what i did notice though is it and this is true i didn't know this till later at about 6 months you're you're out of that medicine space fully. Oh, by the way, set and setting, you have to sign a little thing that said, I will not make any major decisions for 30 days. <laughs> so like, you're not allowed to cut your hair. You're not allowed to quit your job and don't join art school. Because a lot of people do do that. I know it's it's funny. But there's all this stuff with set and setting. I knew and that philosophy degree would come in handy sometime. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I get it now because... Mm-hmm you're in a different space you know i might have bought like 10 schnauzers in the first 30 days because i but sure but you know yeah. i know how to fix this yeah <laughs> based on my past experience right yeah. to a day uh for five days a week we'll take weekends off everyone can go to the dog park that's fine with me you can have a sitter and so you know the integration was key 
and being able to re-regulate myself was key. Mm -hmm. And I am I am blessed and gifted because of all the years of trying to, to manage my mind, I had a massive toolkit. I had most of Lowe's and Home Depot unique items. You know, <laughs> and not everyone has that. And that's why your practitioner needs to have that. Yeah. Your integration coach needs to not be a one trick pony. Yeah. I needed music, I needed movement. Yeah. And notably, because of what happened to my body, my capital T trauma, I didn't like moving, I didn't like dancing, I didn't like, so I would make myself go to like ecstatic dance where there are boundaries in place so mm. no one would touch me, mm -hmm. but I could move my body. Um, I made myself go shopping on Madison Avenue and wear like Louis Vuittons and other things to see what does it feel like yeah. to move differently yeah. in clothing that scares me. But I had that, right? I had gone to Naropa and I had taken the authentic leadership course where I understood you show up kinesthetically as a leader. So I took all of that, art, music, movement, touch, connection, nature, singing, cooking, gardening, touching the earth. It took all meditation, all the kinds of meditation mm -hmm. To get that integrated. Yeah. This I am so grateful that you that you expounded upon that, um, because there is a sense that you know some people look at and this is that maybe they look at the the pharmacological aspect of this, but um, the pharmacological aspect of the medicine um, is thinking that that is where the power mm -hmm. is at is yeah. um, where it is. Basically, a can opener. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, and you know what the rest of the work, you know, the container all happens within us. So you can open ourselves up. We can, you know, put that, open the can, and all of a sudden the stuff all comes out. But what do you do with it? So yeah. without integration, you know, we end up just kind of fumbling around and try to fit it in. Now that doesn't mean that there's something um, wrong with you know people having their own experiences, and I definitely have plenty of clients that. Um, do um, their own journey work on yep. their, they whether it be a day or two in the desert and um, in certain situations and that's not you know f for me to judge but the concern that you know with any of that is if it's working especially around any association with trauma that we find a way to integrate this into our lives and we do that within a support system um, I do want to talk really quickly about why set and setting is so important. Oh, for You've sure. done such a beautiful job of, you know, explaining that from your perspective and how important it was to you. I also like, well, but the story is uncomfortable to listen to, by the way. So, but I said what I like about it is how adaptive your oh. guide was, oh, your yeah. coach was. God Be bless her. Yeah, uh, th that is really remarkable. She earned her. She earned that day. She earned it. I mean that. Yeah. I mean, yes. The be the uh, the adaptability is is and some people think that that's you know I heard you say you know everyone needs something different but this is that eclectic component um, when it comes to you know psychedelic assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. that however you look at it there's there's got to be on you know this plethora this array of different modalities and tools 
to help one in this process of integration because what happens on the journey um oh and i should say that the effect of the drug is just one component of that journey the set and setting it it is itself what we step into right is it a safe place is it something we're comfortable in are we are our needs taken care of do we Mm -hmm. have somewhat of an you know isolation or safety that this is my space that i'm going to be able to explore and address some of the things that i'm I'm here to to work on and are the people creating an environment which they can also they can participate in the support of that and your experience i think goes into depth of why that is so important think of it like this for those of you who have not been married but you've dreamt of what that looks like (laughs) you have a wedding planner and they are in charge of making that one day all the things all the things all the communalism all of the the special right Mm mm-hmm you have an intent of how you want it to feel. They co-create that with you. Yes. And then you relax and you you fill that space and hopefully enjoy the day. Always wear flats. It's a really long day to wear high heels. But they they make sure that that container is uh-huh. is held. But oh honey, that is day 1 of your marriage journey and baby it's gonna be shit some days and so that is the integration piece yeah it's not 100 days of wedding no i understand that that's a big day and it's a big event and someone is helping with all of the set and setting and the rules around it who sits where don't let those two talk to each other Mm -hmm. cut dad off from drinking at this point set in setting based on your intent and based on what that person knows to be true about weddings mm-hmm. it's then it's just a wedding mm-hmm. it's just a wedding and so I, when I went to the uh, the psychedelics conference in New York City last fall mm-hmm. they brought researchers because the research is is maturing and it's it's becoming rich enough that it has significance it was so funny to me because every single person from all over the world stood on stage and said, all we have learned is that, um, not all, what we have learned is that the medicine journey is really nothing. It is actually the integration yes. coaching. And what happens is you, your brain, it's like a clutch in, mm-hmm. your neurons Oh, and even what's oh, something called the period of learning or something mm-hmm. that in your brain, the period of learning and everybody Google this, don't trust me on dates, but it it's open during certain periods of your life when you're little and you're learning to walk all those things and in your teenage years. So the window of learning reopens mm-hmm. in it's after medicine space it's not in medicine space it's actually after (laughs) so your neurology is open Mm -hmm. after and so you want somebody who is a very good coach or therapist to dance with you to integrate and relearn the things or learn the things you want to learn remember my goal is comfort i want my skin to stop hurting i mean how many times have i been to your house and be like someone fix me (laughs) and so and how many times have you talked about natural things and 
blah, blah, blah. And so, <laughs> you know, my goal is to, I just, there's so much trauma. Mm-hmm. I just need to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, that window, that period of, of learning opens up after, not during. Mm-hmm. And all you do is commit. You're having a ceremony with yourself and your memories. It's just a wedding. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're married to this new memory, this new person who's in bed with you now mm-hmm. that has always been in bed with you. And you just didn't know why the bed was so small, but it's actually big, but you've got like five parts of yourself in it with you. And now are you going to get along? Because guess what? You just got to know them. And as my sweet uh, fiance says, uh, the toothpaste is out of the tube and you cannot put it back in. You can't put it back in. <laughs> As hard as you may try, it just <laughs> actually makes a bigger mess trying it to get does. it back in. Right? I feel like you've tried this before. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, oh, I've been I've been married for twenty six long time. Years, so yes, you yeah, have. As, as long as I've known you. So. Yeah. Um, okay. This it, there's an interesting component here, um, and and, it, and I'm not exactly sure why except i do understand from the number of ketamine clinics and <laughs> across the mm. country mm-hmm. um why there's so many of them just focus on um the use of the ketamine treatments from yeah. a uh, the therapeutic model being you have so many treatments six treatments and you yep. know, and you not not all of them even recommend doing no most of them don't. psychotherapy <laughs> yeah. um and that you and integration is not always necessary that you just do these six treatments and you're you're done and you're on your way um you you your experience has represented that that's probably not the best way to go and that Mm-mm. it's really a team effort of of this and that the treatments themselves even though there are neurological aspects that create a certain malleability, um, neurologically speaking, um, and ketamine being an example of that because it's such a short-acting um, time frame, you know, between 60 and 90 minutes uh, on average. Um, whereas um, MDMA, you're looking at, what, four, three, four. To, three to five, four to six four, hours? Four to, oh, yeah, oh. Five to eight. Five to eight. Probably. Okay. You're probably. So, ketamine, notably for the listeners, my son was very suicidal after Sid was killed. He called me in February and he said, Mom, I've walked around campus all night, very suicidal. He had the wherewithal to call a friend who came out and walked with him. He was not okay. He'd also found out his father had cancer. So he just pushed him over the edge. I happened to meet with your wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, I came back to Utah. Mm -hmm. I met with Kristen, and she mentioned you were doing the ketamine therapy. So for the listeners, Gabriel, I did have him go and experience experience ketamine therapy, and it was profound for him. Mm -hmm. Now, because I know about integration, Mm -hmm. what I know is the ketamine actually creates regrowth. Yeah in the neurons in the anxiety centers in particular and anxiety and depression however they will prune back because our autonomic nervous system overrules the brain and especially when there's trauma involved that is correct yeah. and i'm big t I'm trauma especially yeah. yes and so what 
you have is... Do you want to explain what pruning back is real quickly? Oh, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, so think of it like... Think of it like a hand and make a fist, my dear listeners, make a fist, and that consider that a pruned hand. So when you have trauma, mm-hmm. your hand looks more like a fist, mm-hmm. and that's your neurons in your brain in the anxiety and depression centers and so you can't receive connection and love because you're pruned back you're making a fist right Mm -hmm. well what ketamine does and there is a very specific protocol it is not just one it's typically three within a 14-day period which is why that's recommended Think about now, and do this if you wish, extending your hand and your fingers all the way out like jazz hands, like big, big hands. And uh, just like that, Paul, big. you guys, it was so that, cute. I'm doing some jazz hands here. So cute. And now all of a sudden you can reach out with your hands and your fingers and you can have connection mm-hmm. and love mm-hmm. and calm. Over time, though, again, the autonomic nervous system knows what to be afraid of. It is a second brain. Yep. And so that fear creeps right back in. And now, dear listener, slowly retract your fingers in and crumple them back down until you make a fist. And so often with ketamine, they'll say, every four to six months, you're going to need another treatment. Or, they don't say the or part, this is Alia. Or you can go to your integration coaching. And your integration coaching is going to use somatic activities. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get out of our brain, right? 21 therapists, lots of talking. Into the body, because now I can retrain the body that it's okay to be hugged. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be loved. It's okay to dance. It's okay to taste and to feel my feelings. But you're going to need somebody to wrap a warm blanket around you. That's your therapist or your integration coach. Mm-hmm. So you got this window yeah. to retrain your body, your second brain, to come with you into comfort and into a new you. Now, the fabulous thing is once you do do that, mm-hmm. you create something totally different in your life and in your relationships. And I know that sounds stupid and wooey, but I literally promise you, because your autonomic nervous system and your brain aren't creating from trauma or from discomfort. It's creating from this new space. Yes. Exactly. And if you don't do the integration coaching, mm-hmm. it's all going to come back. Mm-hmm. You are not new. You just know more. And one of my dear, dear friends who had done, has done some MDMA journey work called me and said, I don't really like integration coaching. I don't really. That's hard. That's super, super hard. And it's expensive. It's a very privileged thing right now. So they said, I don't like it at all. I just like the MDMA and I said oh honey because notably I'm a very blunt friend I said oh honey I think that's what all drug addicts say and she goes oh no you're right and I said of course I am (laughs) because it's true it is very true it's the shit part of this whole process is going it's the work it's the integration but when you're when it's after I can do things, I can feel, I can feel, I can be loved now, and I am mostly okay with that. Not totally, I'm working on it. And I can handle stress much better in a very different way. And it's more like this, 
oh, that's stressful stuff happening. I don't care. I don't internalize it. It doesn't, I don't personalize it. Interestingly, my son also doing the work is changing. Now, if you work with Strontzi Institute, which is a somatic coaching, your shape changes. And I did have somebody say, your shape, you look different. Your whole body looks different. You move differently. (laughs) Because we shape, our body shapes around the trauma. You are so right on. Our bodies change. And they look different. They and look they different. become different. You yeah. look different. I, I do, besides losing a bunch of weight. But I have my body is different. I, I right. completely agree. It's it's a new body. Right. It's a new form of <laughs> my body's in a new state, a new form. That's it. Than it was. Yeah. I totally agree with that and whole premise. That does not happen. Yeah. Now I can say in ketamine, because I have leveraged ketamine as well. Mm-hmm. I can I can get through the physical abuse much easier than trying to do it sober. The medicine helps me. Like in some of my trauma, I was forced to eat something that was not okay. Mm-hmm. So in ketamine, I was actually spitting, literally. Yep. Yep. And of course, as you know, Sean was with me in all of these mm-hmm. because I don't want. I always need him and a guy. I don't care, but I want. Yeah, that's and that's him fine. there. And he goes, it kind of looked like a camel spitting and I was like because you can't you're you're in a medicine and you can't spit far but in my mind I mean I was spitting it out all of that trauma so I have learned you know and Kristen said this to me you need to learn how to use the medicine Mm -hmm. as a tool yes so I use it as a tool but then honestly then I have to I choose to come out and process what they forced me to eat in my counseling Mm -hmm. and there are times when I use counseling and there are times when I use coaching counseling is when I got to go oh my god they made me eat coaching is like all right what am I going to do differently Mm -hmm. to retrain my system because I really just want to be who I was before all of that and all the generational trauma So the integration coaching is expensive. So to answer your question, why don't people recommend it? Because that's the hard part. Easy is just give me a drug. Yeah. Just give me something. That is easy. I mean, I'm part Jewish, so I can say this, you know, here, have a a kanish. I'm upset. I'm crying. Well, let's eat some baklava. Yeah. That's the easy part. Pleasurable food. Yeah. So give me a pleasurable drug. Mm. And that's the easy part. The hard part is, why did that person bully me in the first place, Mama? Why did I get enough? Because you were lazy and you did nothing. You watched TV instead. Well, hopefully Mom says it in a nicer way. But <laughs> those, those, it's just, it's too hard and it is expensive. And it's expensive for a reason. I am expensive and I'm expensive because I have many, many trainings, many decades of collecting my Home Depot and Lowe's aisles <laughs> and aisles of tools, you know? So you've got some of those double layer, huge toolboxes and tool benches. Oh no, honey, I got Costco, I got Costco racks in my place. Are you kidding? I am up to the ceiling. I have a forklift to get to some of my tools. That's great. It's a lot, but I collected those uh, honestly for myself and for Gabriel and then now have used them for clients. I I am in training, so I'm I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. I do coaching professionally, um, organizational transformation. What I find is that 
transformation is transformation, whether that is utilizing psychedelics with trauma or Mm -hmm. non-trauma or just helping an organization transform. It's pretty much the same pattern and same method. You can't give an organization ketamine. You can utilize that with leadership in states where it is legal because, of course, all these things are not legal. I think that's an important disclaimer, and I'm not not encouraging anybody to break the law in any way, shape, or Mm -hmm. form, manage... Uh, different counties and different cities and different states all have different laws. Please check those before you engage in anything. That is, which is so interesting. Like you know, every when um, psilocybin uh, became uh, legal in Oregon, the counties, uh, each county could vote on, yeah, and cities they if they wanted to mm-hmm. have it legal in you know, like service centers and could facilitators and practitioners practice right and yeah. provide services and so. Oregon, which is a great dichotomy on, you know, these competing political views. It's really, a, you know, a plethora mm-hmm. of the dynamics of tribal dynamics that have been going on for a yeah. long time. Um, but, the, you know, some of them buy in, some of them buy out. And, and so it's like just like anywhere else, which is fine. So know what's legal where you are. Please. I, I hear you saying. And that's so important yes. because, you know, even though, you know, decriminalization is growing and it's happening quickly and the truth is that psychedelics are becoming more popular to be used in mental health it just doesn't mean that it gives uh, everyone an open license to do whatever they want well and a lot of people think that that's the case so uh, it's very you know things that that concern me right now so i what i was going to say is i've done coaching for a long long time i'm in a a course to become a certified integration coach Mm -hmm. um and what is important to me is this. I'm okay. I'm better in my mind. Mm-hmm. My son is better, mm-hmm. right? Um, I could not have gotten this far without the psychedelics. There's My mind desperately wanted to protect me from what had happened. Mm-hmm. And um, while I appreciate that, Sadly, we're all probably going to live to 100, so I've got a lot of time to live with my mind. <laughs> and so if, you know, you know, when we were young, people passed away at 60, 65. Like if someone was 65, you were like, whoa, we're not. We're going to live a long time, and I'm preparing. I brush my teeth. I floss. Flossing's important. But I am going to live a long time. And there is some studies around dementia and Alzheimer's, and is it really just your trauma coming to yeah. light? I am not interested in that, people. I'm not going to sit in my own feces and in my own trauma in a wheelchair when I could just do this stuff now. Yeah. And I want to hike the Appalachian Trail when I'm 80. So I'm part of it is there's this preparation for aging that I want to make sure that my mind is still young and clean because I'm not, clearly, not dying anytime soon. Have not died. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> but what what scares I know you have not died. not today not you're yet. living proof <laughs> I am living proof of not dying and I know we're being lighthearted again but it is you know so I think I'm sure you all have found that I am funny I did say that a lot in my MDMA journey I'm funny anyway she wrote it down a lot of times so I what scares me is and I'm seeing this at the conferences and I'm in a lot of the chat groups people just treat it very like it's a free-for-all yeah and what that ta- happens yeah 
but it scares me because it's just going to get re-regulated because they're being nincompoops about it. And they're not all being safe and they're not treating yeah. it like it's medicine. And at the the, psych, the MAP Psychedelics Conference just a couple months ago in Colorado, protesters took over the stage, some indigenous people. And mm-hmm. one of them said, you know, it's not a psychedelics uh, renaissance. We've always had them. There's no renaissance, maybe just for you white people, but not for us, right. first of all. And second of all, this is medicine and you are not treating it like medicine. And I'll tell you from the chat groups that I'm in and the, the meetup groups I go to, they don't treat it. Most of them do not treat it like medicine. They do not want the cleanup that, that the integration pieces mm-hmm. that are so important integral. and integral. And, but they act like they're shamans and they act like mm. they're this and they're that. And they're doing so, like one guy, um, wanted me to do some work for their startup, their psychedelics startup. And he brings out his quote unquote medicine bag and he starts handing out all kinds of things from his quote unquote medicine bag because he was deemed a shaman because he spent time in the rainforest, like five hot minutes. And then he starts, so these girls were all at the beach. I did not take anything because I really do prefer to say sober. Mm-hmm. And he, um, once these girls were all in that state, he was touching them mm-hmm. and being inappropriate. So trust me, for those who are listening and you want to engage in this, mm-hmm. I implore you, separate out recreational use mm-hmm. and medicinal use. And the indigenous peoples are beginning to warn us of what the medicine will do to us yes. if we treat it recreationally, because the medicine will hurt you. And they say it. Mm-hmm. It will teach you and you won't like it and you know we have fentanyl we have trank we have all kinds of stuff in the system as well and then we have i've you know met a number of people who call themselves integration coaches and you know what they do in session is they sense make for you they are suggestive these are not trained people these are people who are like i was a trip setter i can do this i love this so much and it's like you have no business re-traumatizing this person by speaking into what is happening in their mind. You need to shut your mouth. Do not sense make, oh, well, that must be this. That must be that. No, stop talking. I don't know where regulation is going to land, but what I do know is it's a free-for-all. I am very blessed and lucky Mm -hmm. to have had practitioners here in Utah with ketamine and other places with the MDMA mm-hmm. who are over-responsible and over-trained. Not totally affordable, but can be. And I would encourage every listener, like if you really want to find who you are and all the reasons, only do one in, one, you know, one intention though. If you really want to find who you are, do this, but you please expect that you're going to have a few months of cleanup with a good practitioner. Paul, Paul does this with the ketamine-assisted therapy. What's nice if you're doing it in session is it's that resistance that can be gone so I can process what's happening more smoothly because mm-hmm. I uh, maybe another time you can do something on parts work 
If y'all don't know what that is, Google that. Yeah, parts working. Um, that includes IFS, you know, internal, internal family systems. System, so, which is really remarkable. And because you deal, I mean, you've, you've talked about it a lot today, this idea of healing things generationally oh, and, yeah. you know, meaning, and, and I'll give you just a quick a condensed version of what that means is the work I personally do today affects, obviously, the generation going forward because I, I'm creating something new right. and I'm creating a new legacy with my my children, but it also goes both directions. So it also goes yeah. and heals the past. That's correct. And that's really different. And I think the I think something that often gets lost in these conversations is is why do I want to change? Why do I want to um, you know heal these aspects in my life that have been um, you know, just sitting out there for a long time and what for whatever reason I've kept them under wraps and have uh, been scared or afraid to go into the work associated with this. It's so that my kids and my grandkids or however you want to look at this, yeah. that there's something different for them. And if, we, if you want to look back um, and, change, and how do we change the stories of our, our history, this is a way to affect that as well so i don't see it as just linear and it's not it's not in fact gabriel and i talk about it how as i uncover and unload more and more of my own trauma he'll say i've always wondered why i was afraid of the this or that thing (laughs) and he goes because mom i learned that from you now we know that that the autonomic nervous system Mm -hmm. patterns Mm -hmm. are transferred to the to, to the child yeah and so you may be afraid, I may be afraid of pickles. I, there is somebody I know who's afraid of pickles. Or cats with cucumbers, whatever. <laughs> Which, <laughs> cats with cucumbers. And so you might be afraid of that. And you tense up and your autonomics nervous system goes into alert yeah. when that happens. And your kid, because this is how nature makes sure that our children don't get eaten, their nervous system senses that and goes, oh, that's bad. So anytime they see that... Mm-hmm. That happens. So now me, they go into trauma as they'll go into fight or flight as well. If I change that, it changes my son and then his generation. But it's fairly, it's very intentional. Um, and then you have the epigenetics, which are turned on or turned off through this process. You can flip that switch back. Uh, there is also some of the genetic restructuring, which they're just beginning to see more and more of. You yes. can change that back. Yes. So there's a lot of opportunity. And again, if we're living to 100 <laughs> and you're going to be uncomfortable, you don't have to be. Yeah. You will be for a little while. Sure. You will be. But you've got to find a good practitioner and plan. So this, my friend who really liked the MDMA mm-hmm. and not the integration, I helped them to find a better practitioner, and now uh, they don't want to do any more medicine journeys. They're doing holotropic breath work, which is journey-like. The Stanley Groff stuff. The Stan- yeah. yeah, and they are loving the integration coaching. It's hard, but all the relations around them have changed as well into the, the relations and the connections that they wanted in the first place that they longed, longed, longed for, and they could not. And I, I mean, you know me again, blunt friend would you know, say, oh, 
why do you think I don't have these relationships? I'm like, well, when you say this, it really gets in the way. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. It's like, you can't say that without this. Well, I don't know how to change that. But now they do, right? Now that's available. It's a little bit like that show Pleasantville. Isn't it Pleasantville where everything's in black and white? Yeah. Yeah, One of my my favorite films. Yeah. And then you get color. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know. I didn't know that love could feel like this. I'm still adjusting notably, so don't get excited. But I didn't know. I didn't know. And now I do. I think that was one of the beautiful aspects of that story, of that movie, was the foundational of, you know, uh, learning authentically what our self is, but that's a capital S, right? Right. Self, but also the premise of learning what love is, too. Yeah. You know, compassion. And then what happens? Acceptance. Yeah. Agency. Then what happens? We have Black Lives Matter. We have affirmative action stuff. We have Me Too. We have white supremacy. We have all kinds of uncomfortable things happening. When you remove, and there is, the Dalai Lama did neurological research in Minnesota with Richie Davis with fMRIs. So this is real. When one person changes their neurology and their autonomic nervous system and polyvagal nervous system, you really only have to do one of those. When you change it, you actually calm everybody down within a couple mile radius. You change the world. I don't have to go protest. I don't have to pick up a picket. I don't have to do anything. I change the world because I remove the trauma that's in me. There is so much evidence to yeah. that, and it's been compiling yeah. for a long time. Decades, I mean, yeah. It's been for decades and decades and decades, the, 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 the aspects of how we are personally responsible mm-hmm. and how meditation mm-hmm. is a way to, to actually change the world. Um, and I, I, I look at that and think about it, and um, I, I remember that uh, the, the story from... Um, what the bleep do we know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that the top, you know four thousand people got together in Washington D.C. and meditated together for three days, and the crime, yep. and the and the person that led it said the crime rate will go down by, you know, twenty percent or something like that, and the police commissioner goes, yes, yeah, sure, right, go ahead and do it, and it'll take twelve feet of snow or twelve, you know, something like that mm-hmm. for the crime rate to go down that much, and it went down like twenty five percent, you know, and, and they're going, oh, okay, yes, it does work, but yeah. how, how do you? It seems too simple, right? And like the example you gave of the fist, you know, why, you know, we go back to the things, yep. you know, that, that, you know, we, where we were before and, and the thoughts and the beliefs around that. Um, and people go, why haven't we, you know, transcended socially or culturally oh, from yeah. that, you know, probably it's not a good idea to exterminate people and, and radicalize towards you know certain groups based upon race you know or culture or mm-hmm. ethnicity mm-hmm. or religion um because it doesn't work and but why do we keep going back to an exact muscle back. memory if you want to call it but neurological memory of yeah you know it's what we know well and, and part of what we know is when somebody wounds me if you have a two-year-old just watch this somebody wounds me then when I'm in power, I'm going to punch them back. So we just trade the wounds back and forth as opposed to stepping into a new place and saying, I'm I'm not going to let myself be hit because I'm 
uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to hit you either. Some people would say, I want a seat at the table, but that means someone else lost their seat. Mm-hmm. What I say is, what if we imagined a new table and it just had more seats? Just had more seats, yeah. Well, what if we stopped sitting at a damn table? Who said table? And so I don't have that capability when I'm in trauma, when I'm hurting from all that's been passed to me accidentally and then all that was done to me intentionally. I can't. I I just give me a damn seat at the fucking table. Move. I hurt. Just shut up. And so when we want to heal our world, Mm -hmm. it's that Occam's razor where sometimes the most simple Mm -hmm. is actually the answer. Well, and do we, you know, if, you know, if if I'm, I think this goes back again, this is what I'll probably, this is what I'll end with today is that this notion that if I'm going to, you know, present myself as someone who can support and uh, empower other people, I better have done my work. I better have dealt with my trauma. Oh yeah. Because then we can see this especially with some of our leaders in the you know, in the over the history, if they don't deal with their trauma and their loss and their grief and their abandonment and attachment issues, um, it gets all over everyone else and, and too. Yeah. So, um I I see that so clearly right now that Yeah. Gotta gotta do the trauma work. It's because all of that shaping mm-hmm. It's like if I gave you a fork and a spoon and someone came in to you and said, I brought a steak for dinner. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no problem. I have a grill. I have a fork and a spoon. And so you're cooking this up for them, right? You're helping mm-hmm. them to prepare this, but there's no way to actually cut it. There's no way to actually consume it. So what happens is you're shaped a certain way. And when you're shaped a certain way, you're going to accidentally Mm -hmm. impose that shape upon others when we do the work we let go of the false shaping we become more fluid Mm -hmm. which from a physics perspective is who we are and now what i do is i dance with you and i can show up i can lean in and out and sideways and i can adapt because now we're organisms together rather than two individuals. And the work, it is only the work that allows me to shed the shaping, the shells around me that make it so I cannot interact, I cannot dance with what's about to happen with you. Why are you giggling? I'm pissed and that was just beautifully said. (laughs) My hope for, again, for all the listeners is you have the opportunity, be wise, Go to people who know about set and setting. This is no different than a medical appointment. No. If not more fragile because your mind will be open. And there are plenty. As you know, Paul has that skill set. And I've known Paul a long time. And he has just as many tools, if not more, uh, (laughs) that I do. Uh, He's only one or two years older. I'm just... uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but you have the opportunity, there is more, and your impact can have more than it has today by putting your oxygen mask on first, right? That's what the plane does. And so do it. 
Do it. If you have the resources, just do it and you can change the world. What they show in leadership and then we can wrap up is in leadership, mm-hmm. and I learned this from Naropa, and then there's subsequent loads of data. If the leader stands at the front and they have done their work, they have the ability to affect all of those around them. And then those people spontaneously do begin to heal and repattern. So we don't all have to do the work, but some of us can, and we will subsequently, accidentally, without noticing, we will allow others to begin their own healing process and journey without doing this type of work but it will happen it's a lot like a a leader who stands at the front and they stink and everybody smells them as opposed to they had a really nice shower so it's much easier to focus on the work (laughs) anyway so i wish everyone well i mean it's Mm. i i will i will continue to do journey work until i know that i'm done Mm -hmm. i will continue to do the work that comes after Mm-hmm. to repattern and reshape myself until I feel okay in my own skin and until the edges that were put there that are false, that I've inherited, that have been given to me are gone and then I choose the edges that I want to go to instead of them having been chosen for me. Beautiful. Anyway. All right. We're going to end this episode and this discussion here. Thank you. I appreciate so much you coming yeah. on today. And uh, we'll go out as we usually do with little Joan Osborne. See you next week. If see